I do think that in our country, the value that we place on teachers is not where it should be. You see the difference, especially when you look at other countries where their teachers are are lifted up. When you ask people, what do you know about education? They always can tell you all the problems. There's a teacher shortage. Students aren't behaving. Students, uh, after the pandemic, they still haven't rebounded. Teachers have so much on their plates. All of that is true, but the message should be, yes, teachers make such a difference. They provide the pathway and the supports for our students to look at any possibility of what they want to do and then be able to achieve that go back out into their community, out into the world, and truly make a difference. Welcome, everyone, to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom, and this week we welcome Dr. Maria Vasquez, who's the superintendent of Orange County Public Schools in Florida, which is a top 10, I think it's number eight largest district in America. So first off, it's incredible that she was able to find time because a superintendent, whether you have hundred kids as one district I've gone to before, or several hundred thousand kids, the life of a superintendent is incredibly busy, uh, just like the life of life a principal is and a teacher is. So to have a time with any educator is just incredible. So it's an honor to be able to talk to her. Uh, but the thing that stuck out to me the most was she, she is such a genuine and heartfelt person, and she cares deeply about the humans that are in her district. Yes, the kids, uh, but not just the kids, the adults. And we dive in, and this interview is really fascinating. We dive into her background of her parents being immigrants from Cuba and how that played a role in her decisions throughout life and her leadership today. We dive into her leadership philosophy. We talk a little bit about some innovative communication ideas that she's had. Mondays with Maria is the first thing I'll say. If you haven't seen it, I think it's pretty interesting. Uh, We talk about the most important qualities that she looks for in a leader. And then as always, uh, when we have a new guest, we end with the rapid fire questions of uh, what it's a habit and discipline they have in their life, what a book or books they recommend, uh, what's their walk-up song, and then any leadership advice they have. And so it's a really wonderful conversation. Again, I'm so thankful that she made time for us. I think that we have a lot to learn from this as always. Uh, if you're a subscriber, thank you. If you haven't subscribed, please hit the subscribe button. It's the way we continue to grow our reach. But most importantly, as the last thing I always say, if there's something that you hear from uh, Maria that can inspire others or encourage others in your life, please share this episode with them. I hope you enjoy this episode because it was a special one to me. Thanks so much. All right, Dr. Vasquez, thank you so much for making time to be here with us today. I'm excited to talk to you. Oh, I'm excited as well. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, your uh, Orange County holds a special place in my heart because that is where I was born and spent about the first year of my life. And my family, my, my dad went to Evans and Edgewater High Schools down there, grew up in Pine Hills. And so this is an honor to me just because I'm excited about uh, my family history in your district and knowing how that set them up for success. And so to get this started, I'm just curious, can you give me and the listeners uh, just a little bit about your background and journey to the role of superintendent? You've held a lot of really unique positions. And so I'm just curious what your journey is to get here. Sure. Um, So I... Um, many people know that my parents immigrated uh, to the United States from Cuba. And so my sister and I were born in Tampa, Florida. And I, um, I was very fortunate that my parents put a lot of uh, value in education. And my sister and I knew that that was a core value for, for our family. And so um As I was uh, going to college, I started out as a chemical engineering major and at the end of my junior year switched um, to education because I felt a calling. And I uh, started out as a um, classroom teacher. I taught um, middle school mathematics, high school algebra. Then uh, at at the elementary level, I taught um, fifth grade. After being a classroom teacher, I moved uh, to the district office and did quite a bit of professional development in the area of uh, English language arts. I completed my master's during that time in educational leadership and then uh, was fortunate to be tapped to be an assistant principal, then a principal, 
Uh, then I became a principal supervisor, then chief academic officer, deputy superintendent, and now superintendent. So I feel very fortunate and blessed to have had incredible experiences, uh, the vast majority of them here in Orange County. And now as superintendents, my opportunity to give back. Yeah, well, I'm interested in two things. Uh, first, I'll just be kind of ridiculous. This is the argument my wife and I have often. I taught high school. She started elementary, but then moved up to middle school. Middle school for me, and I think it's very personal to me, Of I was, I feel like I was such a terrible kid. When I go back home to Tallahassee, Florida, I apologize and meet with my middle school teachers all the time and tell them, you know, I recognize how tough I was then. Did you really start in middle school and choose that? And if so, why on earth did you do that? So, um, you know, when, um, when I had the, when I changed my, my career from chemical engineering to education, um, I actually saw myself with my first teaching job at the school, the K-8 that I went to. And ironically enough, that was the first, that was the first job I had teaching, um, at the K-8 middle school. Um, and I will tell you that middle school is a unique space um, because the students are leaving elementary school with a very structured environment, um, a lot of uh, care and support. And then they move into middle school where they have six or seven different teachers. They're much more responsible for their um, actions and their uh, classes. And at the same time, they're starting to figure out who they are, what their likes are, what their dislikes, the hormones are, are starting to kick in. So I, what I found is that you either love it or you don't. And um, those individuals that love it um, just do remarkable work because it is an incredibly tough age for um, our, our kiddos. Um, and so I did that for a few years. And if I have to be perfectly honest, um, I preferred elementary to middle. Um, I think part of that is because I, I had more experience. I wasn't a brand new teacher. And so I felt like, um, I had, I had better, um, classroom management, better knowledge of my content. But you're absolutely right. Middle school is a very special place. <laughs> Again, my wife uh, has the same kind of paradigm as you. She felt like it was a really special age to do it. And I probably should have looked in the mirror a little bit more and recognized, like, because I was wired to be uh, a little bit clunky during that time, I probably was wired to be an effective teacher for that group. I just, I couldn't see, I, I felt like karma was going to come back and get me. Um, anyways, I don't know if this is too personal, but you said, you know, you were clearly on a path to a different career. And you said something hit you. I have my own story of how I got into teaching. That was uh, life changing about my sophomore, junior year of college. Can you share a little bit about what that motivation was? And I'm curious how that still impacts your leadership to this day. Sure. So um, it was, as I mentioned, it was really important for my, uh, for my parents that my sister and I had an education um, when they immigrated here, they lost everything. And part of their angst, um, their reflection was that because they didn't have formal education, my mom graduated from high school, but my dad did not. He dropped out. They felt that if they had a more formal education, they wouldn't have lost everything they own and they would have been able to recover um, much more so than the path that they had to take. And so when I was going to school. It was very clear that that was my job. I was to take advantage of every moment to learn as much as I can, graduate and be able to have a career where I wasn't dependent on anyone and I would be self-sufficient. And my sister and I really felt that that is what we owed our parents for the sacrifices they made. And I really felt a calling. I have no other way of describing it. That was Sunday. So Monday I went to my advisor. I said, okay, if I want to switch from engineering to education, how long is that going to take me? What are the courses? And at first they looked at me like, what's wrong? 
like you're switching yeah, from engineering to education. Um, and so it, it only took me two extra semesters um, to complete. And um, I loved every single class I had. I, I was filled with so much joy and, and sense of going to be able to make a difference. And then when my first job was at the school where I went as a, um, an elementary middle schooler, I knew that, you know, this was my calling. Um, and, uh, I continue to be a person that of great faith. Um, and I, I believe that everything that has happened has happened for a reason. And I try to learn from that and try to see how, um, I am helping others, um, have a better life as a result of, of the work I do. And that's why public education means so much to me to be able, um, to make a difference for our students each and every day so that they're in a class with a caring adult where they feel safe, supported, and successful. That's incredible. I, you said something that has been a, a theme with a lot of folks that I know who have gone into teaching, uh, there's generally speaking, there's, there's been a story where someone has said, you know, I chose to be a teacher in college and inevitably some adult in their life asked why, how do we change that? I know that's a big question, but like, how are you seeing our ability to impact that? Because I have got, uh, you can see my three kids behind me, this one over here, my middle one, there's something, uh, he's already <laughs> asking if he can be a teacher one day. And my wife and I are just thrilled that like he's even thinking that way because we watch him around kids. And that came from us being teachers. And so outside of your parents being educators, how do we get more folks recognizing that like this profession is the, yes, there's challenges, but it's the most rewarding profession you can be in. Yeah. And, and I have to agree with you. Um, I have certainly received so much from my 30 plus years in education far more than I, I could ever give. Um, and so I think there's, um, there's a couple of thoughts I have on that. Uh, so first of all, I, I think because everyone has gone to school, I think they believe they can teach because they've experienced it and they don't realize uh, the complexity of the, of the role of a teacher and how much responsibility they have. And so that's the first thing. I think people feel, oh, we've been there. It's not too hard. Anybody can do it. And um, that's absolutely not true. I do think that um, in in our country, um, the the value that we place on teachers is not where it should be. Um, you see the difference, especially when you look at other countries where their teachers are are lifted up. Because they really are the key to all of the different professions. You know, they all go through an educational system. Um, and then the third thought I have on it is um, that as educators, sometimes we don't do a good enough job of celebrating our work. And so when you ask people, what do you know about education? They always can tell you all the problems. There's a teacher shortage. Uh, students aren't behaving. Um, students, uh, after the pandemic, they still haven't rebounded. Teachers have so much on their plates. Um, all these legislate, all the new laws that have come into place and how they're impacting education. And all of that is true. But the message should be, yes, teachers make such a difference they provide the pathway and the supports for our students to look at any possibility of what they want to do and then be able to achieve that. Go back out into their community, out into the world and truly make a difference. And so I think we have to also change that narrative. Absolutely. So I, I think I've got an idea where this is going. If you could uh, define or you know, as simplify as best as possible your leadership philosophy, what would you say that is? And, or what are the core tenets, I guess? And how has that evolved over the, you know, 30 some years that in the different positions you've been in education? 
So first and foremost, uh, I believe that education is a is a people focused uh, is work focused on people. It's not about the test scores. It's not about the curriculum. It's about the people. That means the students, the teachers, and everyone that supports that classroom. I also feel passionately about the power of building relationships and how that power really does transform lives. So the relationships that teachers build with students and students build with teachers, the relationships parents build with the schools, the relationships administrators build with their teachers. If we're able to create trusting relationships where people feel valued, people feel that they um, have a seat at the table making decisions, that they matter whether you're the student, whether you're the custodian, the teacher, the administrator, that has such an impact on the educational experience. And I believe it has an impact on whatever field that you are in. And um, early on, I, from when I was a teacher, I always knew I had to build a relationship with my kids, my, my students, so that they knew I cared. They knew that I had high expectations for them. They knew that I would show up for them each and every day. And that relationship was reciprocal. And so how are you going to show up? What are you putting into this relationship? And I found that it worked. My students were successful. My parents were engaged, even though I taught in Title I schools. Um, And then as I moved into the various um, roles that I've been fortunate enough to have, that's only been reinforced. And what I have found is people want to be seen and they want to be heard. And if you're transparent in your interactions with them, if you're genuine, that they will reciprocate that. They will begin to trust you. And then you start to see amazing things happen. People start to do things that they didn't think possible. People start to um, allow themselves to be a little bit more vulnerable, try something that they may not have tried. And that then continues to build so that you have these incredible learning environments, schools, communities that all understand the power of working together to educate our future. One of the challenges as you're talking, I, I, I love how you talk about the importance of relationships. One of the challenges that I see from my friends that are in leadership, you know, they go from classroom to principal, principal to the district office, district office to superintendent is let's say, I mean, you're a superintendent of one of the largest school districts in the country. Uh, you are, you come across incredibly genuine in every aspect. Like I've, I've talked to teachers that you don't even know that I've talked to who have met you and just love how you just, like you said, every interaction, that person you're talking to feels and believes they're the most important to you. So I applaud you for that. A challenge you have though, is that when you lead such a large district, so many people can just look at this big Orange County entity as, oh, that's the a big behemoth district. The district, the district does not care about me. I, you know, no matter what, how, what are some key leadership pieces that you and your cabinet are doing to help show that you all do care and that those personal relationships are important? Yeah. And That's something that we're going through right now. Um, We've reorganized um, as a result of feedback that I received during my first year as superintendent to be able to create um, better supports for our schools. And um, it's massive. Like I knew it was going to be hard because we're so big, but there's constant reminders, actually daily, Um, that it is, the work is difficult. And so for me, I make sure that my team understands what what my priority is. And the priority is very simple. We have two things that we are supposed to be focused on and everything else takes a backseat to that. The first is to ensure that we're focused on student achievement, that students are learning, that students are getting the supports that they need at the, uh, and 
that we're monitoring to make sure that they're successful. And the second is that we have to focus on culture, a culture that supports and celebrates the people within our organization. And we talk about it. We share best practices. Uh, we do everything we can to reinforce those two tenets. And when something is brought to light that doesn't align with that, whether it's feedback from teachers that they feel that their principal doesn't have an open door or that um, teachers aren't connecting with students. The response to that is to first engage in a conversation and listen, listen to why this is happening. Because many times our preconceived notions of why something has occurred is not accurate. And if we act on those preconceived ideas and they're not accurate, then we're not solving the problem. We're typically making it worse. And so listening to, well, why, what's, what's, what are the actions that are leading people to believe that you're not valued, that you're not important? What, what do you need to see or hear that will change that perception? And then we're working to make those things happen. Um, but it is, um, it's a daily, daily focus where I have to remind myself that even if we make a change with just one person a day, if I'm able to make one person feel like they are valued, if I'm able to explain to someone why the district has made this decision and members of my cabinet do that, and their direct reports do that. And teachers then are able to do that with their students. We will, we will make a difference. Um, but it's also sometimes uncomfortable because you're working so hard at what you believe is needed. And then you may not be seeing those immediate results. And so sometimes it's a little disappointing. It's discouraging when you have um, someone at the board meeting come up and say, oh, teacher morale is so low. There's so much on teachers' plates. Um, they, um, they need more time. And in the back of my mind, I'm saying, okay, I, we've done this, we've done this, we've done this, we've done this. And that doesn't seem to permeate right away. And I'm reminded yep. by my incredible team that it's going to take time. It's going to take repetition. It's going to um, take actions that prove that what we say and what we do are aligned. So for example, if I'm asking for teacher feedback and they're telling me what they want to come off of their plate, I need to be able to respond with, these are the things that you said needed to come off of your plate. These are the things that I can fix that I can take off your plate. And this is when that's going to happen. And these are the things I can't and tell them why. And it goes back to people then trusting because you asked, you listened, you were transparent and you acted. Um, and, but I think that's, that's what is hardest for me not to keep my team going because I'm very good at cheering them on and bringing them back to specifics that indicate we are making a difference, that we are making changes, but I'm much harder on myself. And so for me to be able to peel it back and, and say, okay, yes, but we didn't do town hall meetings before. And last year you did 44 and this year you're going to do 44 again, and you're going to add virtual meetings that that's what I have to start working on more so that I'm hearing some reinforcers of what, what we are doing to align to culture and to student achievement. Well, I've had some superintendent friends of mine say, and I've shared this in the podcast before that since COVID or definitely during COVID, but even since COVID uh, a lot of times they feel when they're kind of in this season of challenge that they're, they're waking up that day to make the best worst decision they've ever made just because 
the, the, the folks, they'll make a really great decision from all the data that they have, but there's a group of people that will tell them that's the worst decision. And so that's a muscle that you kind of have to get over. And like you said, you're focusing on what you're there to do and knowing that you're not going against anybody. You're just focusing on student achievement and making sure you have a great culture for people, right? And I also think we have to remember that if everybody's happy, you're probably, especially in a large organization, you're probably not doing um, what's best. That some of the hard decisions you may be putting off, uh, because I found that, that uh, no matter what, and we had an example with a program that for the last four years, if not more, we were hearing from principals, teachers, even board members that, oh, this is terrible. It, it's too time consuming. We're doing it too much. And so we listened. We eliminated it. And now they want it back. <laughs> so I just, you know, I chuckle. And those are some of the things that I try to keep, you know, keep perspective. And I hope that, you know, my team and our teachers and our principals and all the other leaders and support people remember that, that not everybody sees things the very same way. And that's why it's important to listen, um, to ask questions, to be curious so that you have the best understanding when you're trying to make a decision, when you're trying to act to make things better. Yeah. You said something a lot of times when I hear superintendents talk or even principals, they'll talk about the most important thing is student achievement and students. It's all about the students. It's all about the students. In your second, you said student achievement was first. And second, you said people, not just students. Can you dive into why you said that? Because that really hits home to what we talk about a lot here is the power of the adults in the building and taking care of them really well gets better results for kids. Is that something that you mean there? Or did you just, am I picking too much on one word? No, no. I think that, um, we're here for our students, but if you don't have the people supporting those students, you're, you're going nowhere. And I think what COVID, one of the lessons I've learned from COVID um, is that time um, passes by way too quickly and you can't recoup that time. So things that you wish you had done, things you wanted to do and couldn't do. For me, it became more, more prevalent, more of a reality. And I think I, I mean, I see that with, with people, people are taking more time for vacations. They're taking more time to have experiences. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not, but people are less, focused on um, things than they are with experiences and the individuals. And I know that at the end of the day, what matters most to me is my family. That is my number one priority. And I want, I know what joy my family brings to me and my friends are second. I love being able to spend time let my hair down, hear what they've been doing and just have a sense of being and enjoying them. And I want, I want all of our employees to be able to do that. I want them to focus on the people, focus on yourself, your family comes first. So whether it's, you have a, a parent teacher conference for your own child, your child has has a play in the middle of the day. I want people to say, okay, I'm going to get a substitute. I'm going to get somebody to cover this teacher's class so she can go see her child in a play because she's a parent. She's not just a teacher. She's not just an employee. Um, and I just, I, I know that that's how I want to be treated. I want people to see me as a person. I want them um, to have a genuine interest in what I talk about. And so I try to remember. So when I need someone and I'm asking them, if I see them again, um, I try to remember, do, did they did they have a child that just went off to college? Did they have an elderly parent that they were transitioning into their home? Um, did their husband get a new job? 
did they start a new exercise program? So when I'm, I really try and make a personal connection with the individuals. So like for, for you, I'm going to remember your three beautiful children. <laughs> and the next time I see you, I'm probably going to ask you, how are they doing? You know, and have you, have you come back to visit Orlando where you, where you were born? I think that means so much to people and it's really not a huge effort, but people remember that and people think, oh my gosh, she took the time. I, I, if I'm in an elevator, I say, hi, how are you? How was your day? I, if I, I, I walk out in there, I see a, a, a custodian that's straightening something up. I say, Hey, how was your day? Because we are human. We are about interacting and what a better place our world would be if we all were kind, if we all treated people with respect. And if we all believe that every one of us brings value to um, not only our life, but to the world that we live in. Yeah. I think that was one thing uh, a gentleman who uh, I work with on uh, my team down in Orlando area. He's in Volusia, but he's not too far from you. Uh, was telling me about one of his first interactions with you at some conference and how genuine it was. Like a, you bumped, like you guys bumped into each other somehow, and how you just genuinely in like two seconds were asking, "Hey, what's your name? Who are you? What are you about?" Uh, and that again is all too rare these days. And so I just appreciate that's who you are, which is why when we started before we started recording. I kind of picked on the Mondays with Maria kind of strategy you guys have there. Cause I think it's brilliant because you can show your personality maybe in speeches. I mean, you have a massive district, so you people can see you at board meetings. They can see you when you give speeches, they can see you when you come visit your school, but you've got so many schools. It's hard to replicate that. I do think something like Mondays with Maria is a way for folks to really see who you are to reiterate what you're doing. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is for folks who haven't, like me, gone down that rabbit hole um, on YouTube? Oh, my gosh. Yes. So Mondays with Maria is brainchild of my comms team. Um, when I um, became a superintendent there, you know, people, even though I've been in the district for a long time, as you said, we're a large district. So getting people to know me, who I was as Maria and as a superintendent. And so um, I really am an introvert. Okay. People will go, no, you're not, but I really am. I like, you know, I, I, I like my close family. I like my close friends. Um, and so public speaking, even though I think I'm pretty good at it is something that, you know, I get nervous about and I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm constantly my stomach churning uh, until it's done. And so when we, when they were saying Mondays with Maria, I was like, Oh my gosh, that's like recording. That's where people can replay it over and over again. And just a lot of anxiety. And so um, I, I have a great team who um, knew how anxious I was about it. And they did so many things to try and make it a great experience. Um, they also uh, understand what people, you know, they're also talking and listening. So their ideas on topics and things to do um, have always been spot on. We did a Monday's Maria on the road and we went to a school and we interviewed this um our food service manager, who is amazing at the school, does competitions, gets kids excited about um, school and about the food in the cafeteria. His whole team is just amazing. And people loved the Marie, Mondays with Maria on the road. Um, and I think that, again, I sometimes... Don't you know, I'm superintendent of Orange County, eighth largest school district in the country. Okay, I'm still really Maria. But for so many people, you know, I, I'm, I'm this figure. And these opportunities for them to get to know me a little bit better um, is another strategy to really try and help them build relationships, to help them 
start to better understand what I'm about, what I'm focused on, um, what my belief systems are, and why I do the work that I do. Um, and it really has been um, an unusual experience when you're, you know, going out and somebody will say, "Oh, I know you." Like, oh, okay, I. You don't have, I don't recognize your face, but maybe we've met before. And then it clicks. They'll go, oh, you're Mondays with Maria. And I, and I really like to beat red. Yes. Are you a parent at or with Orange County? Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're, you know. <laughs> are you watching? Are, yeah. Like that's what I, I go. Okay, great. So, um, you know, I, I, I love, I love people and interacting with them. And so that gives me another chance to interact with students, interact with business community members. Um, but it is something that is, is difficult for me. Like I'm public speaking and, and the videos where you can replay over and over again, um, was a big sell. Uh, my, my team had to have, you know, a lot of reasons why this was going to be a, a good idea. And they were right. Yeah, I, I consider myself an introverted extrovert. And so when this is probably the third or fourth year that we've done the podcast. And I had uh, been a part of originally like helping build it. And I had suggested like eight other people to do this because I knew when I started, I wouldn't know what to do with my hands. I wouldn't know how to talk. I wouldn't like, I mean, I felt sick to my stomach the yes, first, first six year, six months to a year doing this. Now I like look forward to it. I'm so excited. I'm calm. I'm like ready to play with it. But that first six months or even year, I was so stressed, like beads of sweat coming down before ever I went on camera. Uh, and so I don't know how long you've been doing it, but it looks really comfortable to you now. Yeah, I've been doing it for about a year yeah. and I still get the churning stomach. I still get nervous. Um, but, you know, there's there is a goal in mind and people really do like it and they respond to it. And so I, I'm happy to do um, whatever it takes so that um, our students are getting the very best. Yep. Two questions before we uh, get to our rapid fire round. One, when you're thinking about leaders, whether they're going to be principals in your district or district leaders, uh, what do you think the most uh, important skill sets for them to have to be really effective leaders in your organization? First, I think they have to be able to listen, to be a good listener uh, and not always be the one that's talking or, or have a response before they, the, the conversation has, has ended. I think that you really have to love, to be effective, I think you have to love what you do. If you're happy and you find joy, then it's not work. And people see that, they feel that, um, and, and they like working for someone who enjoys what they do. And then the third thing that I think is, uh, is critical is the ability to be collaborative um, and work um, through and with others to accomplish um, the goals that you've set. That's great. I, I think um, I, I got into teaching because like you, I decided late and realized I wasn't going to be able to afford to go back to extra years of teaching or extra years of school to get my certificate. So I had to find alt cert. So I joined a program called Teach for America and worked my way up to be one of the executive directors in the region. And when I was there, my close friend and then my wife actually had the same kind of job, recruited college graduates. And one of the things that we always talked about was we love that we're getting really motivated people, but if we could figure out how to know if they love this, that would be the key for us, right? Because like they can sell, they're going to be really competent in all those things. But I just really believe, as you described, like if you genuinely love the work, you're going to be great because no matter what comes at you, you're going to figure it out. Have you figured out any sort of question or assessment that you try, you try to do to figure out is this person really in love with the work or are they just saying it to get the job here? So what, what I have found is that people that really love the work are overwhelmingly focused on what's good and improvement, not on the negative, right? So it, they still recognize that things aren't working, but their mindset on how they approach it 
and I know this is an old adage, but really the glass half full versus half empty. And so when you listen to them and you hear their conversations and the words that they use, if you pick out more negative words than you do positive, then they're not loving the job. And, um, and sometimes, you know, we all have those days where we're like, okay, my, my mantra is three bad days in a row. If I have three bad days in a row, I'm, I'm toast. I'm done. Um, and I've never, I, I've never gotten to three. Um, but that's because of how I look at things. Like I allow myself the time to brood over something, you know, to um, blame myself or just be mad about a situation. And then it's done. Now it's behind me. I've, I've had my, my time to pout. So now how do we turn this around? What, what do we have to do to make it better, to change, to change the outlook? Um, and that's what I think people who love their job do. They, um, they will do anything they can for that organization, for that person, for the, the students. Um, and you, you can't, you can't figure that out if you don't have a relationship with them. So true. Well, I, I know that I will keep us here. So I'm going to run to rapid fire and let you end on a different note. So uh, real quickly, I gave you at least a heads up. I don't know if it's really a, a minor heads up. Uh, what, yeah. What's minor, sure. Yeah. <laughs> very, very quick. What's a habit or discipline you use on a daily basis to be the most effective version of yourself? I start off my, my days with reflection and quiet time. And so that is, I may pray, I may um, listen to some soothing, calming music. Um, I may read something that's inspirational to set my day on a positive note. Uh, It's usually with a nice hot cup of coffee in one of my favorite mugs. Um, And I may, you know, write a little bit um, and, and then my, I'm ready to go on my day. I do that every single day, Monday through Sunday. How, how long uh, ago did you start that practice? It's okay if you had an off day. So let's not go back. How long yeah, the streak? No, no, but the streak? honestly, I I've been doing this for over 10 years. Oh That's yeah. I, and actually I, I think I actually started this when I have three children. They are all grown 30 and above. And so, um, I would wake up when they were little extra early. I'd wake up around five 30. So I could have a little bit of time to myself when my husband was asleep, when they were asleep. And, and that's what I would do. I would read, I would have my cup of coffee and I'd have that little bit of time to myself. Um, and then my day would start. So I really have been doing that for over, over 20 years. That's awesome. All right. Uh, what's a book or books that you often recommend to people to check out either on leadership or just something that's inspirational to you? Um, so I, um, I, I read quite a bit. Um, and I would, um, I would venture, I'm going to give you, um, author. And then I'm going to give you a book that is leadership, but is also um, personal growth. Um, so I love Maxwell and uh, anything that he writes. Um, I, I really pour over um, and, and enjoy his work. Um, and then there's a book, it's very old. It's called Simple Abundance. Um, and it's a book that has daily reflections. And I actually started reading that book uh, um, after I read uh, Seven Habits. So it's, I mean, again, a long time. And it has a daily reflection for every day of the year. And it's broken up by themes. And then you can take a look at that through a personal lens or a um, a professional lens. And so I um, I read that book every other year. So every other year I will do the reflection. It's worn, it's torn. The pages have coffee stains on it. Um, 
but I do like it because it's, it's, it's me. It's, it's, it's personal. It's personal for me. Do you remember how you got it? Was it gifted or is it something that you picked up? Or so, you know what? It, was, it was a gift. So, um, so I'm going to disclose something. I love reading now. Like I do, like when I, um, I, people will give me books and I have like little stacks. And so if I have a long weekend or I'm going on vacation, I take my stack of books. Cause during the week, I really don't like, it's very intense. Um, and so I did not become a reader until I was an adult. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I was the I was the kid that went into the library. I'd be, I, if we had 20 minutes in the library, I'd be roaming the library, just walking around and, oh, you have two minutes. I just grab whatever book, check it out. I would not open it until, and then I'd turn it back in in two weeks. Um, so I became a reader as an adult. And um, I had a friend of mine that gave me the book, uh, the first uh, Dan Brown book. I think it was the Da Vinci Code, right? I was like, oh my God, this is great. I love, and I mean, I poured over it. She would, you know, share different books with me. And she mentioned this book, Simple Abundance. And she was a, a voracious reader, right? All the time. And she gifted it to me. And I still have that book and I have gifted that book to friends. I've recommended it. Um, and it's, for me, it's timeless. It's great. Oh man, that's awesome. Uh, all right. Luke Odom's favorite question here is what would your walk-up song be? So what's a motivational song that you would use? You can check out your playlist now if you want to. Uh, but what's your walk-up song for these days? It can change week to week, by the way. He's okay with that. Yeah, no, no, it's okay. Um, I, <laughs> um, I, I love dance music. I love dancing. That's something that people um, don't know about me. So, but a song that I love is um, "Fight Song." This is my fight oh. song. So it, um, I love the energy. I love the beat, and um, you know, some days are hard. Some days you've got you've got to get yourself going and motivated to do something that you know, you, you may not want to. And so that song always gets me up and going. That's his fight song, right? That's his walk-up song right now. Cause uh, he just sang it at a football game for an elementary choir, literally last weekend. Oh, so, that's great. That's a small world. All right. Love uh, it. I love it. Last question. You know, you're around a lot of great leaders. You're seeing great things in your schools What's the best piece of either leadership advice or overcoming challenges or change advice that has kind of hit your heart recently or something that you just can't get off your mind that you have shared with a few folks close to you or people in general? So I, I think um, what I would say uh, to individuals is that you need to believe in yourself because others do. Um and I actually had someone many years ago give me um, a little card. It's about this big. I, I have it in um, in a, a scrapbook. Um, when I um, was, I was actually starting to apply for the assistant principal pool in Orange County, and I was so nervous and. Um, just had every reason that I wasn't going to get in, that I wasn't going to be a good um, administrator. And um, I had a colleague of mine, I walked into my um, office one day and there was this cute little card that says, um, believe in yourself. I do. And I, I just, that meant so much to me. And sometimes as women, um, we are so hard on ourselves and we think about reasons why we can't do something. We can't do the job. And I think this is true for men as for some men as well, um, that we, we don't take, we don't take risks. We don't, we're afraid to put ourselves out there and we don't even give ourselves the opportunity because we talk ourselves out of it because we don't believe in the power that lies within us. And so what I, what I say to, to people is that 
There is so much that you can do if you believe in yourself. Um, and for me personally, and when I, um, when I'm dealing with individuals that are struggling, I try to point out or reflect on things that I thought were never possible that they have been able to do or that I've been able to do. And then I go, oh yeah, I, I, I really thought that was never going to happen. And here it is. It did. So I think that's, that's what I would say. That's awesome. To that point though, you said maybe men are different. Uh, uh, a friend of mine, uh, my wife and I, because we're both former educators or she's still chief of staff of her school district. Uh, we're around really cool people and we were struggling to figure out how we were trying to help. I was trying to help her recruit a number of really talented women to be principals. And they kept just kind of saying, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And someone pointed us to this book called the confidence code. And the most simple, simplistic way I can describe it is if I'm applying to a job and you as a woman are applying to a job, they, let's say there's 10 points of like job requirements. You see seven of 10 you have, you don't have three and you think I can't apply. I'm not ready for it. I see I only have three of 10, seven I don't have. And I think the job is made for me. And yes. so like, that is not to like pick on anybody. Like I, I felt really convicted in that moment of like, oh man, that helps me tremendously. How do I start communicating to get those talented women in these spots? Um, but it was a little bit harmful at first. Cause like, man, that's, that's not far off from the confidence uh, that I've had in the past. And so yeah, it, it, uh, and it is, it's so true. And I, I mean, I am living experience of that. Some, you know, people will say, well, what would you have done differently in your career? Uh, and I feel very blessed and I believe that, you know, I followed a path that was, that was very good for me, but I would, if I were to go back, I would have started leadership sooner. I would not have waited. I would have said, absolutely. Here I am. I'm ready to go. Um, and I think we need, we need to help our kids feel that way too, right? Like it's okay. We're not perfect. Look, focus on your strengths, focus on what you can do and then hard work, learn the things that you don't know and um, you're going to be fine. Yeah. I like, I like that uh, thought of having kids. I, I think about my kids all the time. I want them recognizing what they're good at. Like I can tell you what Luke is really good at. And I can tell you the exact opposite thing that Noah's really good at. And I want them to recognize that being weak in a certain area is not bad. You look for those people with strengths and you guys can get better outcomes. That is like our obsession. And so uh, I wish you the best. I'm building those cultures in your, your world. I appreciate it. It's been talking to you. This was a blessing. I'm getting you out of here, hopefully on time. I know your day yes. is crazy. So thank you for this time. Have an awesome day and I hope our paths cross again soon. The next time I'm in Orlando, I promise to let you know that. Oh, perfect. Yes. I'd love to connect. Thank you.